This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello and welcome once again to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barcelia. And we come to you today from Detroit, Michigan. What are we doing in Detroit, Megan? That is an excellent question, because up until about, what, 7 o'clock last night, I was not planning to be in Detroit. Yep. Um, We are actually here for the Motor City Line Dance event. Mm -hmm. Very excited. Derek Steele is putting on Thursday through Sunday several days of dance workshops and dance socializing in the evening. And we are staying across the street and one building down from the host hotel. Today we will be talking about opportunities. I like it. Starting with this article here from Forbes.com. Six ways to spot an opportunity that could improve your business or your life. By Paul B. Brown, contributor. How to spot an opportunity may be the key entrepreneurial trait, but you can't do it on an island. You can't simply wait for inspiration to strike you out of the blue and for you to suddenly realize what the world truly needs is... That is not how it works. If only. So, what do you do? You begin in what you may think is a usual place. Or unusual place. They just wrote an space usual place. And usual place. You start by looking for opportunities by opening your mind. This is harder for some people than others, and the explanation for that is simply human nature. The longer you have been around and the more successful you have been, the more difficult it is for you to accept new and or different ideas and approaches, especially if those ideas don't correspond with the way you see the universe. When confronted with something that is not within your usual frame of reference, you are likely to say, that won't ever work. You are confident in your negative assessment because you have been successful. And you would not have been successful if you didn't understand the way the world worked, right? Well, there are three problems with thinking this way, in addition to the obvious one, that you don't have a patent on all knowledge that exists or ever will. Even if you have mastered your little corner of the universe, there are still millions of needs that still require solving. Needs that will result in the creation of a new product or service. Success can make you lazy. If what you are doing is working, there is little reason to think things could be performed better, faster, cheaper, or in some way, or in some other more efficient way. Things change. To use an over-the-top example to make the point, it is terrific that you know all there is to know about VCRs. But if the world is moving on to digital recorders, that knowledge doesn't do you any good. This whole thing can be summed up like this. The way you think especially if you have been successful, may have locked you into a tight little corner. I am sure that for the longest time back when the world was urged, and did, made, made it a blockbuster night. The people of the video... Hmm. I am sure that for the longest time back when the world was urged, parentheses, and did, made it a blockbuster night... Suppose you make it. Yeah. Whatever. Urged... 
They're missing a verb in there. I'm confused. <laughs> the people at the video rental chain knew everything there was to know about rent- renting movies. As a result, it would never even occur to them that someone could attack them and their market in a way they never thought of. Netflix did, and the rest is history, as is Blockbuster. That's actually written in the article. That's not a thing. <laughs> uh, knowing where to look is helpful, of course. Now, let's talk about six different ways you can increase your focus. Six chances of discovering a need. Number one, necessity. The cliche is right. Necessity really is the mother of invention. It is amazing how when you are out of work and the bills are coming due, you suddenly find opportunities. The same thing is true when you have a pressing personal need. You suffer a major illness and need a special diet, and yet you can't find anything on the supermarket shelves that you can eat that comes even remotely close to tasting good. And so you start creating meals for yourself and others like you, and all of a sudden, you have a thriving company. Necessity. I guess you can look at it in the idea when it comes to dance of what can you bring to the table? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think is a necessity that is going to improve the dance life? I mean, a lot of times you look at it like, for instance, um, having appropriate dance shoes and having the inserts. We didn't always just have them. Somebody had to figure out, oh, you know, regular tennis shoes stick and have too much traction on a dance floor. So let's figure out how to make it a smoother transition for the dancer on the floor, hence suede bottom shoes. Mm. Or the little stick-on things uh, for converting your shoes, or the little slip-on things like that look like hair nets that you put, or shower caps over your feet. Exactly. So there's... Certainly, and that's just, you know, the, sh- the footwear that people have taken and found that there is a need and have then figured out how to supply that need. Um, yes, we're always going to need dances. Yes, we're always going to need instructors. But what is it that you think particular in particular that might help everyone's life? Um And it might not even necessarily be like a, well, everyone needs to have shoes on their feet. It could be something that's just going to increase the overall experience. So, for instance, um, you know, personalized shirts. A lot of people have figured that out. Uh, One of the things I know I was looking into is making those personalized chair backers. Mm Mm-hmm. And making those more widely available to people and uh, making them customizable and stuff like that. That, although it's not necessarily like everyone needs this to have, you know, proper um, safety when they're on the floor, but it's nice to have that little bit extra. Mm -hmm. I think Hot Monk in Novato sort of shows an example of this where... It's like what what happened there versus Sonoma County. At Hot Monk in the first year when we started doing line dance there, there was definitely a need 
for the people at Line Dance Club to have a place to dance. We had nothing besides the rec center, and Mavericks had closed. So we were the ones at Hot Monk who needed that, whereas the people in Marin County didn't really need another brand new temporary maybe thing to you know pass their night but maybe what they did need was a place that was consistent and and had been established for a while and felt like a place that they could always come to on a Thursday and in the first year they didn't know if that was going to be an always sort of a place so if people found out about it they would just think oh this is a fun new thing I wonder how long this will last by the second year it did have more of an established feel to it, and maybe that's what people needed when they started showing up more regularly. Because now it's very successful, yes. and the people of, of Marin seem to really appreciate having that as an option for something to do on a Thursday night. But maybe what it was they needed, even though it was still you know a line dance night, maybe maybe that aspect of it being a regular, reliable place wasn't there yet it didn't really exist in the space yet so that once that was born you know after a year of just keeping at it when there would be like eight to a dozen of us on the floor from line dance club um that made people think oh i guess this isn't going going away anytime soon hmm this could be a a nice place for me to come back to with my family and then they really picked it up and ran with it while club you know had people come and go yeah. Um, and some of the other things I was thinking about was, I mean, although it's already been done at this point, um, there was a need and someone supplied the necessary item um, to fulfill it. For instance, Sonoma State Line Dance Club. You saw a need and a potential there and you created the line dance club, which has now been going for several years. And I know we have several members at the moment and we meet twice a week and then we go dancing, you know, at least a a handful of us every week on the Thursday, typically at hot monk or twin Oaks. And you know, like that was something where people didn't have a way to socialize and connect the way line dancers can, you saw that and you provided the opportunity for others to join it. And now it's become a very close family. Mm. Another thing is, granted, you originally started it out as just a you thing because you were curious and so maybe other people might be too, but the podcast, Mm. you know, you saw that opportunity for questions to be answered by taking a few minutes to speak with people and just was like, you know, I might as well as record it because, you know, why not? Somebody else might find the information useful. And, you know, you've been doing that for how many years now? At least a couple. So like uh, Elliot Marr with his uh, YouTube videos that he was recording for his friends in SoCal, like he started out very informally just helping out his friends who wanted to learn a dance at one of the places in Southern California, he would record himself in a garage and then put it on YouTube for his friend to watch. And then other people who didn't know him or his friend 
would watch those and be like, wow, this is great. Like, I, I needed somebody to break this down for me because I can never make it to the lessons or they go too fast for me or I don't want to see, I want everyone to see me make a mistake. And there were people making DVDs for circuit event line dances, but those aren't always the same as what happens in bars. True. And I don't know if the age like the generation of people who needed something like the YouTube videos um, Elliot was putting out even would have looked for DVDs like it's just a little kind of a generational shift like we don't think to go to the library and check out like a, a VHS of how to line dance when we want to learn something we go online because that's the quickest and easiest most intuitive thing for us Yeah. so he met that need where people were searching to have it met Absolutely. And I think with Sonoma County, it's more of a want that people have had post-Mavericks, after Mavericks closed, and we tried to start things at Dre's and uh, Lakeside Grill, Lakeside Bar and Grill. With them, there are enough options in Sonoma County to go do things and see bars that I think the reason those haven't stuck as, as successfully. successfully is because it isn't a need. It's just a nice thing and a nice option for people, but it's not like Marin where they need somebody to be open that late and offer something like dancing. Yeah. And they don't have the sort of downtown that uh, Santa Rosa does where you can just go out to a club or they don't have the Katati crawl like uh, Katati does. Yeah. And those are both in Sonoma County. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Number two, pay attention. That sage, Lawrence Peter Yogi Berra, understood this perfectly when he said, You can observe a lot just by watching. Opportunities are literally everywhere you look. You look out the window and see more and more examples of extreme weather. What kind of opportunities does that create? You walk down the street in one of our big cities and literally see proof we are on our way to becoming a minority-majority country. Is there something you can do with that fact? I'm going to give away one of my million-dollar ideas. Sounds good. Take notes. One of my favorite things to do on just a sunny day when it's kind of lazy and I'm out in a parking lot is roll down my driver's side window and stick my feet out onto the side view mirror and just kind of watch the the leaves blow in the wind and the trees that are shading my car and it can take a little while to get comfortable in that position and my ankles can you know, rub up against the frame of the window and normally you just think okay well okay I'll, I'll just deal with it you know you just kind of adjust and make the most of it but if you really stop and think, well, what would make this easier? It's such a trivial thing, such a minor part of life. It's like a few minutes of your day. But if you really do just say, what could I create to make this easier? Then you could end up coming up with some as-seen-on-TV product that isn't like the most important life-shattering new invention out there, but could make a few people's lives more pleasant if this is something they do a lot. So the idea that uh, that I had was creating some kind of a slip-on 
uh, like a cushion for the top of the um, the mirror and possibly like a thing that would drape over the side of um, of the window frame. Like the equivalent for just doing it casually would be take a blanket and throw it over the side of the window and the mirror and then put your feet on it and now it's comfortable. But if you wanted something that slipped on sort of like spandex, the way you slip on the slippy things to your shoes to make them into dance shoes, and it had sort of like a shoulder pad in a suit, it's like stitched in to be in that position, then you could slip it on and make it nice and tight over the mirror in a way that even high winds wouldn't blow it in front of the mirror and block and you know make everything unsafe. And you could even just slip it on if you had a few minutes, it takes a second, you slip it on, put your feet out the window. And then it's like this nice, this gel or like memory foam, something squishy. And um, yeah, that would cost very little to make. And all it is is materials people have been using, but in a different way, in a different place. And it would be so easy to miss that because when does your body and that car ever have that kind of intersection of need where you wish there was something that existed there and you don't even notice how much you want it. That's where paying attention and being like, oh, this is that spot where I could make millions and millions of dollars. Um, Another thing I was thinking of is at events. Mm -hmm. As the host... You can definitely better your event by paying attention and watching what people um, are struggling with. Mm-hmm. So whether it's, for instance, it could be just as simple as, I mean, it might not cost anything or whatever, but like, say in this giant ballroom, you have two water stations. Because mm-hmm. generally we've figured out by now that we need water, or access to water pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. And you see that they're getting um, empty faster. Well, if you're paying attention, you can put out more water stations. Or even um, water stations and then maybe even add like a couple uh, fruit juice options. And, you know, charge a dollar for the fruit juice or whatever. Just put a, you know, a basket out. Generally speaking... I, we've had pretty good experiences at, at socials. It might be a little bit more complicated at the bigger events, but people are pretty good about giving the necessary dollar or two for a, a bottle of water or a can of, of soda or something like that. Um, I mean, it also might be something to consider that a lot of these events now are offering some type of dinner mm-hmm. one of the nights. You know, that's something to consider maybe adding to your event if you don't already have that. Mm-hmm. Or one of my favorites was the ice cream social um, in Colorado. That was such a cute idea. Having it in the beginner room, everybody had to go there if they wanted the, the ice cream. People got to socialize. Having those opportunities to have more interaction and to socialize and really get to know people um, has been one of my favorite parts about having that ice cream social or the dinners or even the line dance lobby at Vegas. Mm -hmm. Like, given the opportunity that you don't always have to be dancing because although we do love it, 
you know, sometimes you do just want a break and you want to be able to just enjoy the moment and enjoy the environment and having, giving those opportunities certainly helps. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so like paying attention that way, seeing what people need, um, something to consider also would be, you know, if you included little fans or something like that in your registration packets as like a thank you gift, going that little bit extra makes people feel more appreciated so they're more likely to come back. Mm. You know, and so it might not necessarily be um, an initial quote unquote money maker idea, but having that, that loyalty is what really makes the difference. Mm. Yeah, the idea of event managers paying attention also could apply to knowing what little extra workshops would help people. Like if you see people seemingly confused about foot placement and technique, turning, things like that, then you can think, all right, who do we know that could teach this sort of thing? And then you bring in Cat Painter. Or if you're seen on the charts... A lot of songs that don't seem to have dances choreographed to them that are really appropriate for that style, then maybe you can have somebody bring in uh, their musicology knowledge and and help people align those two things more so that people's dances will feel better to that music. And this kind of ties in with the next tip as well, uh, because many event managers are good at um, at s probing into their community and seeing what they're missing uh, and opening it up to feedback from event goers. Number three is bring back the suggestion box. Some of you are going to be too young to actually know what a suggestion box is, so let me explain. Employees and customers would write down on a small piece of paper ideas they had for improving the business they were dealing with and would place those ideas in a box that was in a prominent position within the store. The suggestion box was a wonderful idea and one that could operate virtually today. True, virtually or even pen and paper. Mm -hmm. um, I know in uh, Jamie Marshall's interview, she said that at her event, I believe it was Fort Wayne, right? Mm -hmm. um, at the end, she stands with a pad of paper and some type of writing utensil and takes notes on what people liked and anywhere that she could fix. Um, because it is one of those things that, you know, if you have people who clearly state, this is what I need to make my event go better. This is what I look for an event. Um, as a, you know, business operator, you then have the opportunity to address that need as opposed to just, you know, taking a stab in the dark and hoping you hit something. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's one of those things where I know at the time I have a hard time coming up with something that, like, maybe could be better, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Um <coughs> Because, again, I'm so new to this that, you know, like, although, yes, I've been to several events at this point and I'm starting to realize what I do like, um, you know, at first I wouldn't have known where to start. Mm. And so having 
The option of contacting later is also another great idea. Um, having some type of email, direct email that you can message out or even, you know, Facebook Messenger or um, having a Facebook page for your event is a great way for people to see what's going on and give their, their feedback. Um, you know, it's just a matter of really being able to listen and weigh the pros and cons of implementing uh, said suggestion. That was one thing that that I wished had been at one of the bars that we used to go to that closed because there wasn't really a way to do that. It was so hard to get a hold of the owner. And even when you did have a chance to sit down and talk about all the things that needed attention, like paper towels and how it's such a small thing, but like it creates an a mood when you go to the the bathroom and there aren't paper towels or there's like a roll of them just sitting sideways on the sink collecting water from right. the bottom like that makes you regardless of how great the dancing is and how how energetic the DJ is that little thing which could be addressed so easily is overlooked when there's no way for the owner to find out about it cuz they're not going in the men's restroom how would they know right yeah and if they had had that suggestion box, maybe they could have taken care of the little things before they all turned into big things and got the place closed. Sure. Number four, think. It is amazing how many opportunities you can find if you just give yourself time to think. Number five, no <laughs> negative Nellies. If you want your staff to come up with as many good ideas as possible, you need to support them. You don't have to accept what they come up with. It is your company, after all. But you can't dismiss anything they suggest as stupid or ill-conceived. The moment you do, you will never get a good idea again. True. Um, that's one thing, like, when you're getting suggestions or ideas, to remember not to take it personally, that, like your event or your dance is maybe missing something or is maybe um, not quite finished or whatever the case may be. It's, it's not a reflection on you if someone's giving you feedback. It's literally just to potentially make something more enjoyable on a wider scale. Um, so you have it's, it's challenging at times, of course, um, but you definitely have to be like, oh, thank you, you know, I'll, I'll take that into consideration. Ultimately, like they said, it's your choice. You're the creator. You're the event manager. But if you don't at least appear to be open to suggestions, you will miss out on that million-dollar suggestion that makes everyone really, really enjoy your event as opposed to the next one next weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's like a saying, you can be happy or you can be right. And if somebody, let's say you're doing, you're teaching a lesson. Somebody says, oh, that's, that's, that's such a creative idea that, that you have in doing things this way. Uh, I think maybe if, if you just add this little bit, then that'll make it more understandable and more fun for everyone instead of like the small group of people who gets it or something. Uh, you can get offended by that and say, no, like, I'm just doing what comes naturally and, 
you know, I don't try to think about it too much, and that's too bad for the people who don't get it. But like, I don't want to change myself for that that small group of people who needs to have their hand held through it or something. Well, like, you're an instructor; your job is to hold their hand. So, <laughs> uh, if if you want to just stick by your guns and and say that people's feedback is welcome, but there's no chance of them helping, then you're not going to improve. You could reach so many more people by implementing some of this feedback. And it doesn't mean homogenizing yourself or making yourself less distinctive. You can still be distinctive in a more helpful way. Number six, study your competition. See what opportunities they are missing that you can take advantage of. And don't forget to figure out what they are doing right so you can improve upon it. Yeah. That's kind of like, you know, what I was saying about how you take suggestions or whatever. But you yourself, I'm sure, as an event goer, as a event manager, as an instructor, have been to more than one event. Um, and so you can kind of figure out, like, what people are responding to positively, what people like. Um, another thing is, uh, when it comes, as weird as this sounds... To creating dances is <clears throat> if you're stud if you watch what people choose musically in competitions and what tends to take higher placements, mm. um, you have an opportunity to then find something that maybe speaks to you that can kind of be classified in that same category um, and find out like what those particular people at that particular event are looking for. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit trickier when it says, like, study your competition. Because, yes, it's there is competition, but also we're so close in a, in a family aspect mm -hmm. that, for the most part, I've seen more along this study your peers mm -hmm. as opposed to your competition. Mm -hmm. um, and find out like, what works with them. For instance, a perfect example, um, the way Rachel uses sound effects, mm -hmm. the way Joe says, say yes, say wow, um, keeping people engaged, uh, the way you know Fred makes all of the lessons fun and enjoyable and people are always filled on that floor for his lessons you know figure out what it is that keeps drawing people to these particular instructors and figure out what degree that could work for you now obviously you don't want to mimic them exactly because then it's not natural it's not authentic you're just copying what they do. But if you take what they do and spin it into a more natural way for you, where you see because Rachel uses sound effects and because um, Joe has the call and response, um, you can keep you know your students engaged. That's the ultimate plan. So how do you take something that they, small little something that they may do, keep them engaged? Mm -hmm. You know, don't use the exact phrasing every single time that they use for every single dance they teach, but, you know, make it your own. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I used to t- do this at uh, venues when I would go to different line dance places and take notes on what works really well. Like, what are some of the highlights of this place? Maybe it's their lighting and how they sync it up with the music or the security and how it makes you feel like once you get in there, you're safe. They've got it taken care of versus things that they could do that would be so easy. Like when they say they don't have a song, but you know they offer free Wi-Fi, they could play it. There are some places that do. They'll... They'll look it up on YouTube, they'll rip the track, or they'll buy it on iTunes, then they'll play it. Yeah. And some places, where it says here what opportunities they are missing that you can take advantage of, some places won't go that far, they'll just play their playlist, and other places, 20 or 30 minutes away, are willing to take the extra effort and their Wi-Fi, and they will play your request, and then you find yourself going there more often. Yeah. Also... This came up when we were trying to choreograph something that had a slow, awkward beats per minute um, count. And we were having trouble finding steps that didn't seem too slow. And I ended up looking up other dances that were around that, that tempo to see what steps did they use that were still engaging and interesting and not too slow. Because we couldn't double-time it either. Double-timing would have been weird, but then at its normal, what it was at, was like probably like in the 80s or 90s. It's really hard to have a good dance that slow. Like, that's, uh, for anybody who does the dance Redneck Angel, Redneck Angel hits it surprisingly well at around the 90-something beats per minute mark. And in looking at the competition, so to speak... It was helpful to see, oh yeah, there's Toe Heel Stomp again, because like five different dances would use Toe Heel Stomp at that tempo, where they wouldn't do it at you know significantly faster speed. Uh, but maybe for two to four counts, they would come up with something really interesting or creative, and then the rest of it would just be, uh, it's the same old stuff, this is like your template 90 beats per minute dance. It's like rearranged to make it a new dance at the same tempo. Uh, that's where you can, as they say, uh, figure out what they're doing right so you can improve upon it. Then you can think, okay, what is it about that little clever bit that works at this tempo that makes it unique that they couldn't get away with if it were too much faster or if it were too much slower? Yeah. And having access to so many other people and seeing what their projects resulted in, like what dances they were able to create... Um, helps you synthesize something just you know upon that if not as a replacement then just a next step yeah that's certainly one of the things i kind of do um when looking at choreographing to a new song and i got the idea actually from jono is finding different dances in that like that tempo and seeing like oh do I need a 32 count do I need a 64 count what feels better how many rotations um and shockingly like there'll be times when I'm like okay that's too busy okay that's too slow Ooh, that step right there like 
whatever reason that feels really good or the oh this is i'm put in like a backward slide motion that was kind of fun that hit the music every time and so then although it's not necessarily like definitely don't recommend like just taking like eight count chunks of people's dances that they've already created but you'll know that like okay i like the one two and three for rhythm here so what can I do to hit that same kind of feel or yeah I don't really like having so much of a flat dance that kind of glides across the, the surface it needs to be more of a up dance up and down more hoppy and and more like energetic versus the opposite which is like well that's way too much for what's going on, it definitely needs to have more of a, a flow and a grounded feeling to it because of the mood. And so, like, you just kind of give yourself parameters in a very vague sense by using what people have done successfully in other dances to just kind of give you a ballpark idea of what you're feeling. Um, again, do not take eight count sections of their dance and throw them in just because they so happen to work. <laughs> People have gotten caught doing that. Yeah. In um, other parts of the country where maybe they thought no one will see, like the choreographer lives in this state and we're all the way over here in this state. They'll never find out that we've lifted a massive portion of this and then added on our own stuff afterward to the same song. Right. Stuff like that. It's just, you know... It is about being creative and being original, but you can take something that works. You know, for instance, um, one of the things that I was playing around with was how much I love Rachel's dances for Homegrown, 1159, Toes, all very different dancing, but still has that same kind of feel. So I was trying to figure out while choreographing to a kind of similar feeling song what it is that she's doing, what it, where it is that she's hearing certain rhythms and how she's hitting it between the lyrics and the bass line and, you know, the guitar riff and the piano portion, just like how she's playing with her dances to the music to get ideas of like, okay, well, where in my song would it be better if I hit the lyric versus the guitar, you know, and kind of have that same kind of feel the way she has for those dances, you know. I didn't take any, I didn't like lift any major part from her dances to, and just like went like, yep, that's her dance, you know. I definitely fought for certain movements in mind to figure out what would be better where um but i really wanted to capture that same kind of feeling because i love those dances so much the more you practice these six things the better you will get at them and the more you will increase your chances of success this article was on forbes.com and written by paul b brown six ways to spot an opportunity that could improve your business or your life. We have another article here. And we also have some low battery on the personal recorder. So I'm going to let the live recording continue as we take a little stretch break. 
for the lapel mics. This should be about 30 seconds. And we're stretching to the right, opening up the left side, the rib cage, just uh, letting all that tension out. Straightening back up to center, stretching it over to the left side, getting in Megan's grill. Hi. Hi. <laughs> She's sitting to my left. She's so patient with me. <laughs> stretching to the front, reaching out like a mummy, stretching back like flash dance. And honestly, a bucket of water over my face right now wouldn't be too bad. I, I can help you with that. We do have the ice bucket. That's true. We are in a classy establishment here at the Super 8. With our walk-in closet. With our walk-in closet. <laughs> if you'd like to provide context, you're certainly welcome to. So it's literally one of those uh, closet bars that you see, that you typically see hanging in a closet on the wall. <laughs> There's no closet. All right, we are back on Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Christopher <coughs> Gonzalez and Coughing Barsulia. <laughs> Thanks. And we are now looking <coughs> Pardon me. at an article, Four Ways to Recognize Opportunity When It Knocks. BusinessInsider.com, Don Rainey, VC in D.C. The offer of a new job, or the dream of your own startup, or even the proverbial chance of a lifetime, all call upon your opportunity evaluation skills, or lack thereof. Can you get better at spotting the most promising opportunities? How do you recognize the next big thing? How does anyone know it when they see it? If you're like most people, throughout your life a few great opportunities will land on your doorstep. And again, if you're like most people, you'll ignore these rare opportunities because you won't recognize them as great chances for success. Don't feel bad. Even people in the opportunity recognition business, including prominent venture capitalists, miss out on great opportunities. Bessemer Venture Partners has an anti-portfolio on its website of prominent successful companies that they chose not to invest in. Bessemer is a longtime successful venture capital firm which passed on Apple, Google, Federal Express multiple times, Intel, and PayPal. Everybody misses a few. No one gets them all. The Bessemer Venture Partner Firm approaches these missed opportunities with maturity and grace, probably at least in part because missing isn't their predominant pattern. They have a lot of hits in their history, more hits than misses overall, which is the foundation of their success. We all build success from our realized opportunities, and we all strive for more hits than misses. If you can do better than average at recognizing the opportunities in your life, you might truly prosper. But how does one build opportunity recognition ability? I argue that internalizing four concepts about the nature of opportunity can markedly improve your recognition skills. These four concepts are... 1. It won't be perfect. The ideas that will develop into great opportunities tend to be fully thought out when you hear them. But they aren't perfect. Not at the beginning, in the middle, or at the end. Your ability to see the imperfection shouldn't blind you to the larger possibilities. 
In my venture capital firm, when we hire new, typically younger people, into the business, we are accustomed to the newcomers hating every deal. They are smart enough to see the imperfection, but not yet experienced enough to be confident accepting that the imperfection doesn't define the opportunity. Endeavor to see the opportunity in spite of the imperfection of the current presentation. Does it sound like it could be a big idea? If no, don't bother looking any further. But if the answer is yes, accept the reality that there will be obstacles between the current moment and achievement of the imagined goal. Regardless of the obstacles and imperfections, great opportunities are usually well thought out, which is to say that someone or a team of someones is thinking through every aspect of realizing the opportunity. They might not have all the answers for every challenge that must be met, but they are thinking about everything. So the first thing that came to mind, and I highly recommend at least her audiobook, if not her actual book or her TED Talks or anything like that, but um, Mel Robbins and the Five Second Rule. Mm. Um, and the reason why this came into mind is because she talks about a lot of different opportunities that are missed because someone was afraid to throw out their idea, because someone was afraid to make a change, because of all of these different things where you've convinced yourself not to try. And then with that, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought about, and I'm going to estimate the number because I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, the creator of the Dyson vacuum had over 5,000 failed or not perfect prototypes before they released what they felt like they could stand behind. Hmm. That's a lot mm -hmm. of not perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a lot <clears throat> of trial and error. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, that is the idea that although it's not perfect, you're going to keep pushing. Mm -hmm. You know you're smart enough to realize that this is an opportunity this is something that people are going to need and want is something that's going to do what it does. And Dyson is one of the top brands of vacuums. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's one of those things where it may not be perfect because there's a lot of vacuums out there. So this isn't like the most ideal market like you you don't have a staple on the idea that this is the only one of its kind but you can improve and be a competitor by recognizing that you know there is opportunity mm -hmm. sometimes a song can be like that where you know that people would dance it it's got that combination of instrumentality like layers of of interesting things that happen in the music it's got lyrics that people could stand behind without profanity maybe with a positive or clever message and you don't know what to do with it and you keep trying to do drafts and drafts and drafts and you're missing something that would like just put the the, the cork in the bottle and you know send it out for shipping like it's it's something that you don't want to give up on and you, you know that 
there's a skill set needed for that that you might not have, but that you eventually will. And instead of giving up on it altogether and just saying, well, I'm not good enough for for this song. I'm just going to give it to somebody who knows what they're doing. Just be patient and smooth out those imperfect spots until there are no imperfect spots left and you feel very happy with the overall dance that you've created for it. I think also, it's just in general, there's something about line dance and the power that it can have in bringing people together that's rare. And with how connected we are with all these different people in the world and like knowing how many ideas there are for this and that and the other thing for something to still be rare is surprising. (laughs) Like if something's a good idea, usually everybody knows about it and there are five different knockoff, you know, store brand versions of whatever it is. But the line dance community isn't all that fragmented really. And it still kind of feels like a secret. Like there is the whole Catalan, very super country group in Europe. And there's soul line dancing. But other than that, like what we think of as the line dance event circuit is one big mass. Just scattered across different continents. And... I still feel like there's this something just waiting to happen in there. Like, let's say karaoke is a good idea and you know people love to do it and they, they go out and do it at parties and bars and events and whatever. There isn't that unifying aspect of it. Line dance is fun, but the fact that there is that one big group, I feel like there's something to that I can't quite put my finger on yet, but it, it's possible to be happy in that space and have all your needs met and you know, have food on the table while surrounding yourself with that mass, that family. And little little things can get frustrating, like not having technique or not speaking the language of wherever people are considering hiring you or having to sleep on middle-of-the-night flights where they don't even recline the seats. (laughs) Like, there are all these little things, little bumps, but the big picture of it is still interesting and rare enough that you can get past the little imperfections because figuring out what it is about it that's so compelling is worth getting through all that little stuff. Yeah. It's like trying to make it into space, you know? Like, you know intuitively if something happens to the planet, like, space is where we'll need to be. But there are so many obstacles to getting, like, out of the gravitational pull of the planet and finding fuel that doesn't pollute while also has enough power to get you up there. So many things can stop you. But that big picture idea of, like, we need to get to space is enough to try to figure out your way around all the little problems. Yeah. 
Number two, the future is built with today's tools, not tomorrow's tools. I thought that said fools at first, but it said tools. The future is built with today's tools, not tomorrow's tools. The great innovations of tomorrow are usually built with today's technologies and new combinations. You would be mistaken if you think true invention is the source of innovation or the typical great opportunity. Many people seek a technological breakthrough or outright marvel as proof of the existence of opportunity. And sure, sometimes breakthroughs and marvels are proof of opportunity, but many great opportunities are not driven by a breakthrough as much as a repackaging or a better combination of advances. Apple's iPhone is the migration of a friendly operating system onto a smartphone, and the Apple iPod series is built from broadly available components. For that matter, don't focus your evaluation of an opportunity on what's missing, like the big technology step forward or novel process. Look at what is present today, because the big breakthrough is rare, and you must focus on what's present. That's true. Because one of the things I've always said... Um, is your body can only move in so many different ways. So for the most part, we have discovered how your body can move. You know, you can't exactly bend in half going backwards unless you have years and years and years and years and years of like, you know, contortionist stretching. But it's not a common thing. Um... So, when creating dances, it's a matter of how do these steps flow and what little thing can I add in that's new to the environment as opposed to necessarily a completely brand new concept or a move or whatever. Um, I th like One of the things I think about is the tag and Shady with that breath. You know, it's, your body still moves the same way. They just put, you know, inhale, exhale along with your arms open and close. So it's a new combination. You still, you can do your arms open and close. You can do the breath, but putting the two together gives you the new feel, the new hook. Um, Rachel's really amazing at the idea of, um, wait, can you do that <laughs> in dances? Because it's one of those things where, you know, perfect example for me was uh, woo-woo with the heel swivel, heel swivel, and then back. It's like, wait a minute, that's such a novel concept because we've all done our heels to the right, we've all done our heels to the left, we've all done one at a time followed by the other. So, okay. It's not a brand new idea that you can, you know, do that specifically, but putting the two back to back, that's a new combination. It's a new idea. So that's um, where I start looking at the idea that it's all steps and things that we've seen before just reworked. I noticed that uh, also drew you to Got Your Number by Darren Bailey. Yes. <clears throat> some fancy foot action there. That's not all that complicated. <laughs> also, technologically, virtual reality. I, don't, I feel like I don't know what to do with it yet. I bought that 360 camera and we recorded some videos with the idea that you could 
virtually place yourself onto a dance floor and then look around with your mobile phone and see all the dancers around you. Because we were looking at dance videos, line dance videos from behind. So like the person's in front of you and you're standing behind them while watching the screen. And then when they move to the left, you move to the left and you just kind of go along with what they're doing as if they were up on stage. But what do you do when they're facing toward the six o'clock wall? Because now they're facing you and you have to face away from the screen and look over your shoulder to see what they're doing. The idea was record four people, at least four people all around you in 360 degrees so that when you change walls and you turn, you're looking at the back of somebody else still because the the scene moves with you when you move your phone. It's an interesting idea and it does use today's tools kind of because you're able to use your smartphone to watch it. You know, YouTube is a thing that exists now as well. Like you can use YouTube. You don't have to carry around a TV and a, a DVD player or anything to like make this happen. You can do it with things that exist now. But it's not quite finessed yet. It's one of those things where like, there's something there. There's something to virtual reality and augmented reality and 360-degree panoramic video. But it's not fully fleshed out yet. It's like there's some potential there. And we've only kind of started exploring. But the need, I don't think, is there as much as would have to be for more people to develop in that field. Like, we kind of did it as a curiosity at Lion Dance Club, but nobody was really clamoring for it. So maybe when virtual reality does get more widespread and people found more ways to do it naturally, maybe somebody else will come up with a great idea of merging that with Lion Dance. But with, with what's currently available today, it's only kind of this vague idea. Like with Pets.com, it was an interesting idea. And Webvan, way back in the day, like in 2000, it was before that idea got picked up by like Safeway and other grocery stores. Like the idea that you could order stuff from the internet and have it come to your house regularly, like so you're on a subscription service. The need wasn't there. It was a good idea. And it was starting to use new tools that hadn't been available before. But the demand wasn't quite there. So then when other people came along and developed on top of that idea at the right time, like how they're saying you know, the iPod was built for broadly available components, it just wasn't the right time for those ideas yet. And the tools were not polished yet. There are things like that that we still look at with line dance and think, how could we use this type of camera or a GoPro or live streaming, which hasn't always existed, but now that it does exist, how can we use it? Sometimes we give away those ideas on the podcast and you're welcome to use them. Uh, and sometimes we just think, like, maybe if we do it on a small scale here at Hot Monk or Twin Oaks or Tradewinds or wherever we're teaching, line dance club, maybe that little seed of an idea will grow into something later when the tools have gotten better. Yeah. So think of new ways to combine stuff. Yeah. Oh, also, this is kind of what uh, inspired some of the beginnings of the podcast because the idea was everything is line dance. 
no matter what, like I can look at a lamp and find a way that that's line dance or like a flock of birds is an easy one. Like I think I, there was one time I was very proud of myself. I was walking through a hallway and I saw a fire extinguisher and I thought, how is this fire extinguisher line dance? So if you look in the, here's a little secret Easter egg thing. If you look in the tags for some of our episodes, you'll see like dance, dancing, line dance, because tags just make things easier to find. And one of them is everything is line dance. And it's been there for a while because everything is line dance if you look hard enough and make those connections. Number three of four. Appreciate the evolution of previous failures. Failed attempts at an idea are more a testament to the value of the idea rather than a repudiation. In fact, most great opportunities aren't realized on the first attempt of an idea's execution, but rather as the perfected evolution of previous failures. When YouTube.com got going in the summer of 2005, it had no less than 30 comparable or comparable competitors. Failure in the video sharing website genre, go back to zoomculture.com in the fall of 1999. YouTube perfected their formula by making videos easy to upload and discover. But more importantly, by allowing other websites to embed the videos, YouTube broke through to widespread distribution. And with wider distribution, YouTube became the winner eBay was one of dozens of online auction sites with comparable functionality in the late 1990s, but yet it was eBay who emerged to lead a massive new category. eBay succeeded by solving the initial buyer trust issue with a feedback system. That feedback system enabled eBay to succeed as the online auction leader over auction sites with arguably better technology. They perfected the model. In order to fairly assess an opportunity, you must examine the causes of preceding failures. Early video websites failed in large part because people had limited bandwidth. If the underlying cause of failure isn't applicable any longer, the idea may be poised to succeed. That's true. Yeah, it's, it's actually one of the things we've talked about before as to why with such a... Dr- <clears throat> Excuse me such a drastic lead um, on MySpace, why Facebook is the one who pulled ahead and has lasted. Um, it's definitely an interesting thing to think about stuff like that. But I look at this also as the idea of, for instance, like creating dances. Like, what was it about your first draft that needed to be fixed? What didn't work? Where was it too busy? Where was it not busy enough? Where did it over-rotate and made it a weird step or something like that? It's not necessarily a failure, but it's definitely something in which you can improve upon. Um, Along the same lines of anybody who's started in choreography that's done it for a while, you know, at first you're trying to figure out what your style and your groove is. After a while, in theory, you kind of start to develop your own style, your own techniques, your own flow of how you hear music. And when you go back to your earlier dances, you're like, wow, I so was all over the map. I ha- I don't know what I was trying to do there, but I would change it today, hands down, in a heartbeat. And having that reflection I think is what allows you to grow and improve on your next attempt or next project or whatever the case may be the other thing is to look at what works and doesn't work for others you know why did 
this particular event get 5,000 people, but this one maybe got 200. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what was it? Was it location? Was it timing? Was it on the same weekend as a bigger event? Was it just because it was the first time this event had ever been created? I mean, like, what was it about this one that wasn't quite as successful as one of the other ones that you could build on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so strange that in a time when we have events pretty much every weekend, big or small, somewhere in the world, there are still some that are under-attended. Like before, there might have been just a few per year, and maybe the demand wasn't there. But uh, while some of these are getting to be you know, 1,500 people, there are others that have had to be canceled for the near future because of lack of interest or attention. Yeah. And it makes it definitely makes you wonder, why is that the case? And by actually taking applied study to it, you don't have to just wonder. You can try to figure it out. Look at the metrics. You know? uh, I sometimes wonder about about choreographers in that way as well. Like, why is it that that some people have disappeared completely and why have some dances disappeared when they were so big for a while what makes a dance a classic versus dated I'm really glad that I have you around to talk about those things with as well because I used to just think about these things and take notes and then do nothing with them (laughs) but with you and, of course, DJ Jeffrey Goodwin of DJtainment, if you guys want to look that up. Uh, we've actually implemented potential improvements on things that we've seen as failures from other places in the past, places that have closed or tried to start up but never quite got off the ground. And we have that... Uh, that freedom to iterate. And I think that's where other businesses run out of resources or run out of time. They want to improve and then try again and improve and try again. But after a while, they, you know, somebody breaks their leg or, you know, somebody uh, loses their house because of a natural disaster. Like something happens so that they can't keep iterating. And we've been very lucky in that our failures have never been final. True. Very true. Yeah. We could have stopped with Lakeside Bar and Grill and said, well, I guess Sonoma County is never going to have dancing and we're just bad teachers and and uh, there's no way to make dance happen. Line dance is dead or something like that. But we just said, oh, hmm, well, here's some things that we don't want to find in the next place that we take line dance to. You know, we want a floor. And yeah. Not to move tables and whatever else. Yeah. Um... And that's actually when you had brought it up. I was thinking about the formula we use for Hot Monk mm-hmm. is so unique. I've never been to another event or venue or social that kind of runs the way we do Hot Monk. Mm-hmm. Now, Twin Oaks is a little bit different, <clears throat> but Hot Monk, with the idea that we teach lessons 
pretty much, I'm going to say 85% of the night, Mm -hmm. people seem to really, really enjoy that. People seem to be really pleased with the idea that they come out, they spend money, and for the most part, they spend the whole night dancing, even if it's their very first time line dancing. And I know that for me, it was definitely cool, but frustrating when I first got into line dancing that there would only be one lesson. And then I would have to sit until I saw a dance that potentially was easy enough for me to kind of pick it up. And maybe I wouldn't mind looking like a fool off into the corner as I struggled with it. But it was it was frustrating for me to have to sit out of so much. And, you know, eventually, if you go enough, you learn enough of the dances, and then you're on the floor a lot. But that's eventually. So... Looking at, and it's it's not necessarily a failure per se, but something that I felt could be improved upon, we were able to create something really unique, very special, and something that people have been raving about for months now in our area because it is what it is. It is so unique. It is so special that, you know, you do a lesson, I do a lesson, Jeff does a lesson, you do a lesson, I do a lesson, Jeff does a lesson, we play a song or two. You do a lesson, I do a lesson, Jeff does a lesson. And it's like having that kind of like constant, one, teamwork is amazing and very rare as opposed to just working someone to the bone from start to finish. But having that alternating gives people the chance to learn different teaching styles um, different movements. I know you and I have done a pretty thorough job of figuring out um, a level. In other words, like you start with A as your dance. Then you take an, another dance that builds on top of one of the movements that you taught in the first one, but maybe adds a new movement. Then you take the next dance which has the concept of the first two, but then adds another new movement and so on and so forth. So that the whole time you're like, okay, well, this is like the dance that we did here. This is like this dance. This is the same movement we did in that dance. You guys already know it. And it really builds their confidence as well as it helps them solidify that technique. For instance, the difference between, you know, a lockstep and a shuffle kind of thing so they kind of get that practice because you're you're increasing the concepts of the dances and that's based on the idea that you specifically and a little bit me have figured out what doesn't work in our area yeah (laughs) yeah there there was actually I, i remember hearing the i don't know if you'd call it feedback or complaints or explanations why one line dance night wasn't working at a local venue they according to some reports um, 
would more or less kind of like put on a show like they just did the dances they knew but they didn't push hard enough to bring in new people by making those dances accessible so if you knew the dances you were lucky and you could participate but if you didn't learn them four years ago or however long then there was never going to be a chance for you to learn and you didn't have the tools to teach yourself either if you're a new person off the street it was really it seemed for the people who didn't return like it was just for this group of friends to play and it wasn't for outreach and education yeah and that's one of the things that we have learned from their experience um, so that we could do things differently yeah number four timing can be everything. The single most powerful question you must ask yourself about an opportunity related to timing is right now the right time for this idea. There are a lot of great ideas that don't become great opportunities until the time is right for them. Interacting socially online with people of common interests or social circles has succeeded repetitively. The current social networks are simply the most successful. The current social networks reached a point of critical mass, for example, when there was nearly ubiquitous internet access and widespread personal usage of the internet. If most of your friends aren't online frequently, a social network is of limited utility. Facebook wasn't the first social network, and neither was MySpace. I invested in an online site for a teen audience to create their own social online space with email, music, and status sharing in 1996. It was called MyRoom.com, and it wasn't the right time. The idea of a social network can probably trace itself back to the original computer bulletin boards. A major factor for Facebook's success was the timing. Good enough. You will find analogous failures for every opportunity you ever consider deeply. If you can't comprehend why they failed, you will be ill-equipped to evaluate the modern-day equivalent. But the truth is, thanks to accessibility of people and their stories, you usually can find something, somewhere, wherein the founders detail those causes. In my 30-year career, I have encountered five great opportunities and recognized three of them. In your career, in order to do better on the final accounting of opportunities versus recognition, you must first recognize the opportunities. And they don't always show up gift-wrapped. Taking these truths into account, you should have an improved ability to know them when you see them. So a perfect example, which I've already kind of referenced already, Shady. Hmm. That dance, they sat on releasing it for over a year. And for whatever reason, they felt the time was right to release it. And it became a huge hit. Same thing with uh, Rebecca and Gimme Gimme. I think she had that for five years, and the the scene wouldn't have been ready for some of the things she was doing. But then people came along like Fred and Guyton and Roy and Shane and even Rachel in the last five years. Trespassing came out in oh, um, Darren. Um, Trespassing came out in 2012. It's 2017. So if it were really five years that she were holding on to that, then she would have created it in 2011. So trespassing didn't even exist. And think of all the other things that have come out since then from those sorts of choreographers. Gimme Gimme sort of builds forward 
on those concepts. Like we were saying about like the ladder of dances you can do when you know these steps and now you can add on a new thing and then you can add on a new thing. Gimme Gimme in a pre-trespassing time would have been real be- real weird. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't think people would have known what she was doing or would be able to take her seriously. And it does take people who are very confident in what they do, like Guyton, to say, hey, this is what we're doing. I promise it's going to be fun. Let's just stick through it. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, gosh, well, I mean, he's doing some real weird hand stuff in those demos, but if he says this is going to be a fun thing to do and go well with the music, I guess I'll at least give it a try because he seems real sure of himself. And then you do it, and it's amazing, and you wonder, why why wasn't anyone doing stuff with hands before? Maybe they were, but they weren't Guyton, so they couldn't sell it. Yeah. If Rebecca had tried to sell Gimme Gimme when it first was choreographed, she might not have had the firmness or conviction that somebody like Guyton did, so only her friends would have learned it and it never would have gone anywhere. Yeah. By the time Guyton and Fred and Roy and everyone else created that interest and demand and through their confidence made those seem like attractive qualities to have in dances, then you have Gimme Gimme with all of those qualities and she doesn't have to sell it. She just shows you what it is and you are intrigued and you want to learn it. She definitely does sell it though because mm-hmm. dang, that girl can move. Well, I mean, not, not <laughs> verbally. Yes. Yeah, like, I mean, because... That's another thing with um, with the the thing they were saying about eBay and a feedback system. I feel like there isn't enough of an equalizer, like an Airbnb feedback system for dancers or dances to help expose people to interesting dances. Because there might be some gimme gimme out there that nobody knows about because. Those people aren't given the spotlight. They don't know enough people in the circuit, and they're just doing that dance at their bar, and okay. they've never written a step sheet for it. So you're also you're kind of thinking along the lines of like, for instance, Amazon related items people have bought, or, or people who have purchased this item have also purchased this. Spotify's recommended. It music. would be the idea that people who have learned this dance have also enjoyed dancing this dance because of whatever feedback they're putting out there yeah like there while while there is the possibility that somebody could you know stumble upon rebecca being amazing on video think of how many dancers are in the world and how many like hip-hop crews make it and how many don't like there can be very immensely skilled kids like when you think about it and like how athletes get drafted from college to be in the pro leagues or from high school, they're sent a scholarship to get into a college. If you're some amazing dancer with great ideas, but you don't know how to draw attention to yourself by, like, a, I, I want to, I'm avoiding the word gimmicky because we used 12 locations. But if you don't have the ability to create a video or something, uh-huh. a hook, that makes people look at your dance or your ability, then you're just one name and face among many. And you have to have, nowadays, you have to have a lot going for you. And Rebecca is an amazing dancer, but there are many amazing dancers. She has the additional ability to put together interesting videos. So you want to watch just the video itself for what it is, and then along the way you're like, oh yeah, that's kind of a cute dance too. 
Yeah. Like, I don't think Can't Walk Away would have had nearly the amount of success that it has no. without that video. No, because it's a country song among many country songs with a couple of American young kids, like many American country bar dancers. And there are even other Craving You dances out there that I... I, I love that song, and I haven't looked at these other dances. Like, making somebody look your way in, in the field of line dance now is tricky. Once you have their attention, then you can go somewhere from there. Then you can say, okay, now that you're looking, I'm going to put out an even more amazing dance, and, and you, you will then say, okay, it, it wasn't just a fluke. This is a person with talent. But... Somebody can be putting out six, seven, eight, a dozen amazing dances, but if they never look at that first one, those dances go nowhere. That choreographer gets hired nowhere. Yeah. So. That's the, that's the other thing is, as you're saying, like, you know, basically putting out a bunch of amazing dances. The other thing is, um, specifically on timing, mm. flooding. Mm the environment with dances can be very harmful. Mm -hmm. It's nice that someone like Joe only releases a few dances a year because then you're like, ooh, a treat. Mm -hmm. Ooh, she, she's, what, what else has she gotten now? What, 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 is she, what has she been up to? Oh, cool, she has a new dance. What does this one look like? As opposed to someone who releases five a week, you're like, okay, yeah, I don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. You could have the next hit classic dance that'll be around 50 plus years and done at every single circuit event, every single bar, but because you've hidden it among the 20 that you've released that week, it gets lost. It dilutes your brand. Yeah, it totally just gets lost. And unfortunately that means that it may never be discovered. Mm -hmm. So timing is very important. And I know we've talked to a lot of different people about, well, how, how do you choose when you release a dance? How do you know that the time is right? And most of them say you get lucky. Mm -hmm. But, you know, some of them will wait. Some of them will purposely wait. Some of them will just throw it out there once it's done and they feel comfortable with it because of whatever. But... It is something to really consider the idea that putting out one dance a year might not be helpful. Putting out ten dances a week might not be helpful. Balance. Yeah. You know, Palm Springs, who was it, uh, like Ruben, I think, who was saying that there was a time when there were too many waltzes out, so they, they didn't want to release this one waltz among many, and then... Nightclubs became a big thing, so it was better to hold on to your nightclub for later. Uh, with Shady, maybe something had come out that was too similar in sound. Because, like, let's say we pick up Thomas Rhett's album and five songs speak to us, so we want to choreograph stuff to all five. Oh, my Lord. Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. <laughs> Ed Sheeran. After Shape of You, I didn't want... I, I was so overexposed on... Ed Sheeran, that once the album came out and people were doing stuff to Perfect and Nancy Mulligan and Bibia, whatever, like, I didn't want to hear his voice anymore. And he didn't do anything wrong. It was 
just that I was being too exposed to all that music all at once by so many choreographers. And if somebody had just like held on to one of those dances and tried to release it later when it wasn't surrounded by everyone else's, maybe it would do okay. Take a look at Beautiful Wonderful. There are many dances out to the song Little Me by uh, Little Mix. And for whatever reason, at this time, that dance is getting picked up and appreciated in a way that it might not have if it came out with all of those other dances to the same song. So yeah, if we were to listen to a bunch of Thomas Rhett stuff and put it all out at the same time as Can't Walk Away, people would get sick of hearing Thomas Rhett and then by association potentially get sick of us. Yeah. So knowing what, and this could even be a fun feature of the podcast, who knows, um, having an eye on the market, so to speak, at the charts and saying, what's missing right now? What have we not seen in a little while? Because there isn't a successor to stomp your feet or chase that dollar right now. And then Power Mix comes out. And then a few months later, Lay It Back comes out. And you wonder, like, how often do those kinds of dances pop up? And even if they do arise, how long does it have to be after the last big hit of its kind before people are willing to embrace it? Because if you put out Lay It Back and then three other dances of similar difficulty and tempo, only one of those is going to survive, and it's probably going to be by the biggest name. True. Nightclubs. Is there a nightclub out right now? Is there a waltz out right now? Like Lady in Red is for its kind, you know, what maybe Heaven on Earth was a few months ago. And is there a spooky gypsy queen tango with me darling right now? Like I was thinking um, Despacito or Slowly Gently Softly mm-hmm. versus... Um, Corazon Diamante? Yes. Yes. Yes, perfect example. And both Gary. <laughs> like, that would be a fun uh, forecasting feature that doesn't exist that there might be necessity for. Maybe. Hope, Opportunity. Hope. Yeah. Knock, knock, knock. Indeed. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the four points here again were timing can be everything. Appreciate the evolution of previous failures. The future is built with today's tools, not tomorrow's tools, and it won't be perfect. This was all part of the article Four Ways to Recognize Opportunity When It Knocks by Don Rainey of Business Insider. We have one more article here with short points on opportunity. And this one is titled Seven Habits That Make Great Opportunities Happen. Do you want to be at the right place at the right time? Adopt these habits to make sure opportunity comes knocking. This is on Open Forum. From AmericanExpress.com, that's interesting, by Liz Strauss. Everyone hears about that person who is, quote, in the right place at the right time. Maybe you know someone who seems to be that person all of the time. We have those friends who walk right into the perfect job and achieve the right promotions as if they have a crystal pointing them in the right direction. They get awarded the best projects, and their presentations get praise and standing ovations from the special guests who showed up to hear them. How do they do that? It's not fate or a great gene pool. It's not an accident. It's not even a lucky star. 
People who enjoy consistent success know what it takes to make great opportunities happen. Change a few habits and people might be wondering how you get so many opportunities too. It's true. You don't need luck if you can make things happen. You need strategy. Simply stated, strategy is a realistic plan to move forward by taking advantage of the opportunities that suit your unique abilities. It's a matter of having control. It takes time and some attention, but buying a lottery ticket takes that and money too. Want to make good things happen for you? Here are seven habits that make great opportunities happen. One, pay attention. Value curiosity and collect information. Make a habit of interacting with your environment. Notice things that happen around you. People who notice things know more than people who don't. Notice the kind of preparation and responses people value. Notice how you can make processes and meetings work better. Notice what makes people's lives easier, faster, and more meaningful. Notice ways that you can add value without taking something away from those around you. Develop a habit of paying attention. You'll grow as a person and you'll become a natural resources to the people who work with you. It will become natural for them to think of you when new opportunities happen. So one of the things I think about mm -hmm. in the paying attention thing mm -hmm. is directly related to several conversations I've had with several of my friends regarding me specifically and how I say I watch, I pay attention, I listen, I look for ways that people have figured out how things go smoother or more efficiently or have better and I figure out how to apply that to me. Um, it is one of the reasons why I believe that I'm able to pick up things pretty quickly when I care because I'm focused on paying attention to what works and figuring out through trial and error that how to apply it to me. Um, one of the things I've made sure to do is take several different lessons from several different instructors over the course of this last year so that I can be a better instructor. Figure out what works with them in their classes. What is it that they're doing that I can then take my own version of and then be a good instructor. Same thing with dances. What movements do I like? What song styles do I enjoy? What speaks to me in ways that may not speak to somebody else? Okay, now that I know that, let's look at my song list of wish lists to choreograph to. What, what am I going to connect to right now if I'm looking at doing dances like She Used to Be Mine or I'm looking at dances like Shaking My Head? Which dance am I leaning towards more frequently? Which dance gets me excited to go out there and do every time, um, you know, it comes on? Okay, that's what I need to figure out. A uh, perfect example, and I say it every time, is those opening notes for the song for, that Rob Fowler uses for The Beast. Like, 
I have to, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, I stop and I head towards that dance floor because I love that dance so much. I love the sound of it. And so when I'm listening to music, I go, okay, what grabs me like that? Okay, this is 30 seconds in and I'm bored. Never mind. This is 20 seconds in. It's all right. Oh, look, it's going somewhere. No, not, not, not fast enough. Or, oh my gosh, I'm hooked right away. You know, something like that. Paying attention to what the demand is. For instance, you were talking about the different styles how you have like the late night fun and you have the pretty and then you have the cool and stuff like that. Paying attention to stuff like that and figuring out which song can fit into that category allows you to figure out what need might be needing to be filled. Like if we're having a lot of great party dances and people are liking that, but this, you know, two or three really, really pretty dances are consistent consistently played at every single event maybe people might want one more of those versus okay right now we're saturated with party dances um versus the opposite maybe like you were saying like there's a bunch of nightclubs out so maybe i should do a party dance just really stick out and see you know if i can get out there and supply that need um and like the making people's lives easier, faster, and more meaningful. That I think, uh, to reference it again, that figuring out that building block of how to implement a brand new, like beginner, never danced before into a handful of dances, starting them out with you know, swinging thing, one wall, very, well, you know, walk, 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 kick, back, 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 touch, walk, 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 kick, back, back, that's half the dance, you know, you're not throwing, you know, pirouettes and triple steps and, you know, rolling vines at them when they've never done a dance like this before, you're giving them that structure, so then when they learn the next one, it's a little bit easier um, for them to understand the concepts, challenges in them, and so they're able to pick up some of the dances a little bit faster because of how you've structured the the lessons. And the one thing I've noticed more than anything is people love feeling like they did good, that they succeeded. People love feeling like they understood and got the dance. So. If you have to do more repetitions, you have to do more repetitions. If you have to break down something, like for instance, the two things I break down the most is the turning jazz box. <laughs> yep. And I start with the jazz box and I have them do a jazz box in place a bunch of times. Then I add in the turn. And so that they get the concept that's like, oh, it's basically the same thing. You know, but if I was to jump them into the turning jazz box without giving them the base, the jazz box, they struggle with it. Then you go in and you have something like um, Rock in the Wagon Wheel by Jamie Marshall, which has a quarter turn jazz box with toe struts. Like that's such a 
concept to graphs that if you were just to throw that at them, they're going to struggle. But if you've built them up with a jazz box, built them up with a turning jazz box, you've already done a dance with toe struts in it, it's a little bit easier for them to comprehend. It's faster for them to get it and they feel better about it. Yes, they're still going to struggle because it's a new concept, but they feel better and so it means something more to them because you've taken the necessary steps to see what works better than to just go, oh, first time, here's an advanced phrase, A, B, C, D, dance, have fun, good luck, you know. I don't know how many times we've changed lessons because we were like, oh, we're gonna have a really challenging lesson. Oh, we have all beginners, okay, scratch that, or vice versa. We have a beginner dance. Wait a minute. We have all of our advanced experienced dancers here. Why, what? Okay. New lesson, you know, and like switched it last minute because we're paying attention to what's going on. Mm. Yeah. That kind of fits in with what preparation and responses people value. You, you come prepared for anything, for any group of people, any length of time that you might have. Cause maybe you even have multiple intermediate kind of dances and you think you're going to have more time uh, than you do. Like if you, if you if you're planning for, you know, an hour long lesson, then maybe you'll attempt something that is A B C D, like uh, how I want you or something like that. Versus you're down to half an hour. Let's see if they can get through trespassing, right? Or something you know, fewer counts, fewer um, parts. Another. Uh, among other things that I noticed in this bullet pointing um, list they have, processes and meetings. I would like to see, and there are opportunities here, how you can make step sheets easier and faster to write because that holds oh, so many people God. back. Even if they come up with a great dance, that idea that they have to explain what they're doing when they don't know the names of steps can stop anyone from finding out about that dance. Right. And then for meetings, people might benefit from having like collaboration ground rules like how to co-choreograph a dance if they don't know how if they're a quiet person and they don't know how to speak up then they might get rolled over and never collaborate again or if they if they're just not the the most uh, skilled communicators and they don't know how to explain what they want in a way that people are able to understand, then they can get frustrated and also not be able to do that kind of thing again. So yeah, how can you make processes like step sheets and meetings like collaborations work better, um, easier, faster, and more meaningful? It can also be like for meaningful, how do you help people express the feelings they're having about things that are going on in their life so that it's not just nightclub basic, rock recover, nightclub basic, rock recover. Like, how do you actually elicit those emotions? Um, because if you have ways that work consistently, then that could also be an opportunity, like a little ebook you could sell or something. Yes. Yeah. And I also like that they say add value without taking something away from those around you because it is a very cooperative, not super competitive um, group that we're part of you know, in line dance you know how can you tell people i have a beginner dance that goes great with this song but 
somebody else has an advanced dance, you should totally learn it. It's very clever. It's got all these fun little quirks that my dance does not have. Um, but if you have first timers who are not going to learn that dance before the song falls out of fashion, then here's a beginner dance as a floor split. Right. You can both win in that situation. Like you can you can have all the beginners learn something for them, and you can still promote your friend who did the other dance. Exactly. Number two, think of your work as important. No matter how dull, uninteresting, or seemingly useless the project, assume a higher purpose is driving it. Bring your best talents and most dedicated attitude to it. What you think changes how you feel and what you do. People will respond to the importance you place on the work that you're executing. Develop a habit of honoring your work. People will place more value on the work you do and start to look for opportunities where they might use your higher level abilities. Basically, kind of what we were talking about, being prepared and confident in your dancing or your instructing or um, stuff like that. When you come off prepared, Mm -hmm. people look at things a little bit more officially Mm. as opposed to, oh, this is just some kid who thinks they can teach. Why should I take lessons from them? If you come off like you're enjoying yourself and you're positive and you know what you're talking about, as well as, for instance, one of the things we've tried to do is... um, stay consistent with our lessons and make sure we replay some of them throughout the night Mm -hmm. and some of them throughout, like, for instance, club, to let them know that, no, we are teaching this for a reason. It's not just to teach a dance and kill some time. It's because this is a dance you can get enjoyment out of. This is a dance where you can... um... Oh, totally lost my train of thought. (laughs) Oh, it, it puts more importance on learning that dance if you play it again a couple times later that night and play it the next week too i don't know how many times i i would get frustrated at learning a dance at one of the old venues and then it just never being played ever again mm-hmm. or the next time it's played is like four months later and you're like well pfft, i never solidified it because i never didn't think it was that important mm-hmm. you know what has your experience been with the kids at um, our house? When you taught line dance to them, what did it mean to them? You know, at first they thought it was a joke. Because, mm-hmm. you know, 16-year-olds, they're too cool for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that they started to get really energized. Mm-hmm. And, like... They got excited for dance class when, you know, I I would tell them, I was like, it might take us a little bit longer to get through this one, but we'll get it. It's just about practice. And having that start, the learning aspect, the practice, and the success of learning it, their confidence level alone just shot through the roof. It was one of those things where they accomplished it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I helped instruct them through it, but I didn't 
pick up their feet and place it for them. Mm -hmm. I didn't do the work for them. They had to do the work. And when they got it, they were so elated and they felt so good about themselves because they had achieved something. And the kids at our house are, were there for reasons that were, they didn't have that consistency. They didn't have that support group. They didn't have that person telling them, keep trying, you've got this. It's okay, you're gonna struggle, you're gonna stumble, keep picking yourself up. You've got this, you'll get it, I promise you, you'll get it. And then when they get it, having that same person celebrate the success with them, they, they didn't have that growing up. That's why they were in the situation they were in. And so me and a couple of the other mentors were able to help provide them with that. And the way they blossomed was, I mean, words can't explain the difference I saw in such a short amount of time. Well, I'll shorthand uh, just my experience with the senior group at Brookdale Senior Living uh, by saying that they look forward to it every week. They do the same dances every week, and occasionally I'll drop in a new one that's usually by Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they still struggle with some of the steps that they've been doing for months, but uh, it doesn't seem like a struggle for them. Just it, I love that they are able to still have fun with it. Right. <clears throat> Number three, and there's a thing I'm going to circle back around to with Joe if I have time before our time is up. <clears throat> Number three, be aware of the potential of your impact. The way you look, the smile you give, the way you answer on your cell phone, each causes a response in someone you might never be told. Everything you do has an impact. When you make decisions, think them through to understand how they will affect other people. Develop a habit of considering how your actions affect the people around you. People will see that you make work easier rather than making more work for them. Uh, Speaking of Joe, Mm. (laughs) Um, this here, the be aware of the potential of your impact, we've talked a lot about on different, several different episodes about just the simple act of smiling while you're in the ballroom can relieve tension from someone who you may never even have an interaction with physically, verbally, or anything other than that just quick glance that they were scanning the room for whatever reason or something to that extent. Um, Same thing with, like, the idea of, like, dancing with your cell phone on the floor. It's like, okay, well, this apparently isn't that good of a dance. Why should I learn it if they can't even hold that person's interest? Or... The idea, like, for instance, you, you go all out on these dances and people are just, they just want to learn it because you look like you're having so much fun. Or, um, you know, something just, the, the idea that you're putting someone else's needs above yours in the sense of being, like, learning a dance. Like, I know there's a couple dances you've learned because of the idea that you didn't want me to be the only one out there dancing it. You wanted to give me that enjoyment of sharing that with someone. So you've taken it upon yourself to learn that dance. And it's not that you like, you're like, no, I never want to learn that dance, but it just wasn't one of like your top priorities or anything like that. 
And that, of course, has made it a more enjoyable experience for me. Um, you know, so it's had that positive impact. And that, you know, it's that idea that you can make a difference just simply by saying, you know, things are tough right now, but it's okay, it'll get better, as opposed to, here's a whole rant and rave about why my life is abysmal. Mm. Like, totally different. And the impact that you can have on just someone scrolling by on social media, it it just can be so totally different in the idea that, you know, like, for me, you know, it's like, it's hard, and I feel guilty saying this, but a lot of times when it comes to those rant and raves, I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry your life is so hard, but, you know, we all have something. Mm-hmm. Versus someone who's like, uh, you know, having a tough time. If you can send thoughts and prayers, that would be awesome. I'm like sending thoughts your way. You know, it's it's totally different. I feel inclined to, you know, respond and support the someone who's like, it's tough. It's hard. I need help as opposed to here's everything that's wrong with the world. I'm not going to give you an opportunity of how you can help. I'm not going to give you an opportunity of how you can fix it. I just want to rant, mm-hmm. you know, and it's different for different people. And I get that. But like that was, you know, the other day I was like, I'm having a really tough day. It's time to look at the positive. Here's what I'm grateful for today. And that was for me. That wasn't for anybody else. But because I did that, on social media, it potentially could affect someone. And I don't know who or what or anything like that. Um, but I'm hoping that because I took the chance to be positive about something, that someone else gets to look at it and be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm grateful for this today. And just maybe that helps them just get through the day a little bit lo- better, a little bit easier. Number four. Imagine opportunities everywhere you look. Lucky people know that opportunity is always present. Look for ideas and trends that match your interests and your skill set. Bend and twist those ideas to make them uniquely yours. Develop a habit of looking at everything to see how you might improve it. How you'll make it more fun, faster, cooler, friendlier, easier, quieter, more musical, lighter, more romantic, more exciting, more inviting, more anything. Choose the opportunities that benefit other people and they will support your offer to take advantage of an opportunity. Well, we talked with Kwame this morning. We did. That was exciting. He was our Uber guy, and our drive was about 53 minutes. So we asked him just about everything we could about how to find the next big opportunity, the way he was able to find a a house for $2,700 and refurbish it for about $7,000 and up its value to about (laughs) $45,000. Like, how do you find uh, the thing that nobody else can see and how do you find the people who know what to do with that, even if you don't know how to make the best use of it? And this was just a person that we met driving to this event. Like, that's a good example of opportunities everywhere you look. You don't know who's going to know something that you need to know. Right. And of course, I gave him my card afterward. <laughs> and I gave him one extra for a friend. Well, and something like that, too. I mean, it might not be something we ever implement, but it it's also one of those things where just simply having that kind of conversation may have enriched both of our lives at some point down the road. Oh yeah. Like just the idea that it keeps us focused on that, that we want, like just 
the fact like when, when you ask yourself am i the kind of person who who looks for opportunities and tries to like hustle and make the the greatest value out of the, the things i'm involved in well i don't know let me look at my track record and if you're not having these conversations and you're not pursuing things beyond i wonder what would it would be like if we did this or that if you're not taking action in some way even if it is just having the conversation it's harder to tell yourself you, you really are this kind of person but every little thing like just the talk that we had with him this morning uh, reminds you that this is something that's on your path that you want on your path yeah number five make yourself a magnet for jobs you do well be generous offering your help and counsel when people help you suggest your best skills as a way you might return the favors be on alert for the tiniest ways to match your best work with what the people around you might be doing. Talk about your favorite projects. Develop a habit of letting people know how much you love doing what you do well. People get impressed by folks who love their work and want to help. Yeah, we talk a lot about dance and instruct. And we talk a lot about how we instruct and that we're always looking for more opportunities. And sure enough, you know other of our friends who are instructors or event managers or for instance dj jeff have taken that as a cue that maybe they could bring us in on a project or fill in for them or something to that extent number six count and record the opportunities that suit you small ideas and opportunities have a way of getting bigger research shows that things we watch and measure get bigger and more plentiful Develop a habit of attending to what suits you. People will notice that you record ideas and opportunities. They'll start listening and looking to find more. Soon you'll have a network of people who are offering you ideas they've collected for you. <laughs> true. Very true. Um, Keith has written down... He's seen me write down the dances at every country bar I go to to see what is done at that place. And now if I don't go somewhere or if I show up later... He will send me the whole list of everything that has played while I was not there because he knows that I collect that sort of thing. Yeah, I've done that a few times as well. Like, just knowing certain things as well as... Um, it's also easier for me to talk you up and your abilities to teach dance and your abilities to be sociable and everything like that than necessarily myself because I know how passionate you are because you're vocal with me about it. So it's easier for me to be like, oh, have you met Chris? This is what he does for a living. And people, you know, are intrigued at that point. And it's maybe I'm not necessarily providing you with the world's greatest opportunity, but I don't know, maybe down the road someone will be like, hey, I'm doing a party. I can, you know, hire him to teach line dance or something like that. Number seven, decide. When an opportunity is set before you, don't hesitate. Take the opportunity and use it to grow the skills that got you that far. You know which opportunities fit your interests and skills, and which don't. Develop a habit of taking on new opportunities as a way of growing. Be clear that you'll always be noticing and learning, and people will feel secure in offering you opportunities that grow with you. So, if you want to be the lucky someone, you can make great opportunities happen. Develop the seven habits that will get you seen opportunities and other people seeing you. Once you start, you might be surprised who starts pitching in to help you. Again, I reference Mel Robbins' book, The Five-Second Rule. Um, quick story, she discovered a way to get herself out of bed in the morning. 
And all it was was the idea that she's going to count down 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 and launch herself out of bed. And since then, she has used the same rule to going after things she wants uh, when she's nervous because she's she's actually a speaker for a living and, you know, doing the books and she works at, I think, CNN and stuff like that. And she go, she is nervous every time before public speaking. But she tells herself certain things. For instance, I'm not nervous. I'm excited. I'm excited. Because it's the same stimulation in your body for the, sa- for the different actions. And she'll go, okay, five, four, three, two, one, go. And then she just goes. She jumps in. She makes the decision. She shoots her idea. She, you know, pitches whatever she needs to pitch. And same thing with thousands of people across the world have been using this rule to help progress themselves because the problem is after five seconds your brain kills the idea it talks you out of it why is this scary why is this a bad idea oh i might sound stupid i might look foolish i might this and nobody wants to look stupid or foolish so a lot of times if you can go five four three two one go and just do it you don't have time to second guess yourself Circling back around to number two, think of your work as important, the thing that I mentioned about Joe. <clears throat> A little bonus in our last couple minutes of, of uh, discussing this article, which, of course, was by Liz Strauss and was written on Open Forum, AmericanExpress.com, Seven Habits That Can Make Great Opportunities Happen. Looking at number two, think of your work as important. It reminded me of an article in Tim Szymanski's blog about Joe's struggle with um, the, the various health things that have happened over the years. And this article, this uh, entry posted by Tim Zamansky on January 24th, 2012, is entitled, What's Your Calling? Last Sunday at church, our pastor's message was titled, Happy People Have a Calling, and it was brilliant. Here are the key points as I saw them. First, your vocation has nothing to do with the happiness you feel in regard to work. Second, the way you view your vocation has everything to do with the happiness you feel in regard to work. You can view your vocation as a job, as a career, or as your calling. It's up to you. Do you realize what this means? It means you have 100% control over how much happiness you feel when it comes to your work. Our pastor even suggested that if you are doing temporary work, you can still view it as your temporary calling. Joe and I had an extraordinary conversation on the way out of the sanctuary. For much of Joe's life, her calling has been to be an international dance instructor. I asked Joe, what has your calling been the last couple of years? She said, my calling has been to be a mom and to be a bone marrow transplant patient. Consider this. When you are doing exactly what God is calling you to do, how can you have anything less than happiness? It's been suggested that Joe did not choose to have a bone marrow transplant. We actually believe she did. God puts options in front of us. Sometimes those options are limited to a single option. From the (laughs) options God put in front of Joe, she chose to have a bone marrow transplant, and for the last 18 months, she has chosen to relate to that experience as her temporary calling and to take it on with the same level of passion she brings to dance or being a mom. So the question I have to ask myself is this. Where in my life do I have situations that I view as unfortunate circumstances that I have to muddle through, as compared to my temporary calling straight from the hand of God. So that, uh, in my mind, ties in with thinking of your work as important, where they say no matter how dull, uninteresting, or seemingly useless the project, assume a higher purpose is driving it. So whatever it is 
that you think you you shouldn't be doing that is a waste of your time or is a real inconvenience, there's something about it that might be necessary in getting you to the big picture, better place for your life. True. Very true. And go figure Joe would find the positive in all of her trials and tribulations. All right, that does it for Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio. This week we are going to prepare for an evening of open dance here at uh, Detroit's Motor City Line Dance Classic, hosted by Derek Steele and others. And this has been Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barcelia. Until next time, we will see See you on on the dance dance floor. floor.